What do you think of when you hear the word perfect? What comes to your mind when you hear the word perfect? I have a few things come to my mind. I think of a perfect 10 in the Olympic Games, whether it's diving into the pool or whether it's gymnastics. That, that's what comes to my mind. Something else comes to my mind, not that I ever attained it, not that I ever even came close to attaining it. But for some reason, when I see the word perfect, I think of a perfect score of entrance exams to colleges and universities. Of course, I'm talking about the ACT and the SAT. John Liu, out of Kentucky, 17 years of age, scored a perfect score, not only on the ACT, 36, but a 2400 on the SAT. Somebody asked him, they said, well, young man, it's kind of funny, but it's funny to me. I have a weird sense of humor. But they said, what do you want to do with your life? He said, I don't really know but I think it has something to do with math and science. And I thought, well, that's probably a pretty good shot. And then at the Thomas Jefferson High School of Science and Technology in Fairfax, Virginia, 14 students recently scored a perfect score, not only on the ACT and the SAT, but the SAT2 subject test. All 14 of them scored absolute perfection. And then I think of the word perfect in the Bible. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about perfect. I think of Matthew 5, 48, when Jesus said, therefore you shall be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I think what our Lord is saying there, that he is our perfect example, and we will spend a lifetime pursuing the Father. I wrote a PhD dissertation many years ago on a man who believed that you could receive entire perfection on this earth. And this man went on to criticize the apostle Paul and said, the reason Paul never attained perfection is because he had sin in his life. And I thought, oh my word, be careful judging the Apostle Paul. But Jesus, I believe, has given us the example. And he says, pursue to, to the day you go in his presence, pursue. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Let me think of another one. First John. First John 4.18 says, perfect love cast out fear. And when there's fear and timidity and phobia and all those things, then love is not present. So perfect love cast it out. And then I think of this one. In John 17, verse 23, Jesus Christ prayed for us. He prayed for his church that we as a church would be perfect in one. We would be absolutely pristine and perfect in our unity with one another. And so today I'm going to read uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Our message is, is extrapolated. Our title is right out of the text, which is perfect in one. And then next week, we'll pick back up with the book of Nehemiah. But today, such a special day when we focus on the elements. Thank you, Brother Terry, for bringing our minds and our attentions to that through worship. And that's what we've been doing. And, you know, reading the Word of God is a, is a public act of worship. So we're going to read it. And then we're going to make some comments about the text, about what Jesus said. John chapter uh, 17, uh, verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his immediate disciples, those 12 before him on Passover night. And then 20 through 26, he prays for all believers of all generations, of all epochs of time, and that would include us. And so the high priestly prayer of Jesus, somebody said, really, this is the Lord's prayer, and I agree. The Lord's prayer is John chapter 17. Now, the model prayer is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, which starts, Our Father, which art in heaven. This is the longest prayer 
of Jesus in the entire New Testament, of the Gospels, John chapter 17. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at a moment of time when Jesus, on the night uh, that he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and said, take and eat, this is my body. He took wine and he drank it and he said, take and drink, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus prayed this prayer for us and for himself and for his immediate disciples. Now, toward the end of the chapter is where we'll pick it up in verse 20. And I want you to notice some things about, about what our Lord is praying for, this prayer for unity, that we would absolutely be perfect. Uh, teleao is the Greek word. It means to be complete. It means to finish. It means to have this pristine purity about us that sees itself in the consummated in, in unity. I mean, Jesus is literally praying that his church, his body, his people, not that there would be uniformity. Now, that would be boring, right? If we were all alike and we all believed alike and we all did the same things, Jesus is not praying for uniformity, but he is praying for unity, all right? And so let's look at the text. It says, I do not pray for these alone. And this is the transition in the, in the trilogy prayer. He's prayed for himself. He's prayed for his immediate disciples. Now he prays for you and me. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that would be you and me, church. He has us on his mind already. He's praying for the future generations of his church. That they all, and my prayer, Father, is that they would all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they, the church, would also be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory, the glory, the doxa, the high esteem, the bestowal of favor, the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made. Now, here it is. Here's the title of our message today. Jesus prays for us in this high priestly prayer. He prays that not that we just have a modicum or a little bit of unity, but Jesus prays teleao, that we would have absolute, complete, finished unity, that we would be perfect in our unity, perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them, Father, as you have loved me. And so today, we're going to look at this prayer of Jesus, this high priestly prayer, and we're going to do it, look at it in three different ways. First of all, we're going to look at the prayer itself, the prayer for unity. Number one, in verses 20 through 23, Jesus prayed, I want you to count the times he prayed for us, that we would be unified as a church. He prayed four times. Did you see it? Verse 21, he prays twice that we would be one. Verse 22, he prays once. And then in verse 23, he prays yet again. That's four times, four times that Jesus prayed that his church would be unified. And it does include believers of all epics and milieu and periods of time that we would be unified. God wants his people to walk together in unity. He doesn't want us to be schismatic. He doesn't want us to be fractured or have division or to have angriness that divides us, but Jesus wants us to walk together in, in unity. I love the text in, in Psalms when it says in 133.1, how beautiful 
and how pleasant it is when brethren walk together or we dwell together in unity. Exclamation point, Psalm 133.1. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he talks about the church and being unified, and he uses an interesting word. It's where we get the word speed. It's the Greek word spudazo, and it, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word there, endeavoring, spudazo, means to use speed and to be diligent. You, you get the connotation in your mind that, that Paul is pleading with us, that Jesus is praying for us, that his church would walk together in not uniformity, I didn't say uniformity, but that we would walk in, in unity. And I was just thinking on this, and I just wrote in my notes, I said, thank you, Lord, for praying for me. Thank you for praying for us, that it would be on your heart so much, because there's so much at stake that you would pray for us that we would get along with one another. Can I, can I just say it like that? I mean, that's really what he's saying. God, please help them get along with each other so that the world will actually believe that there's something to the mission of the Son to leave heaven to come to earth. It's dear to the heart of God, and it's difficult, or Jesus wouldn't pray it. Aren't you with me? It's dear to the heart of God, and it's difficult. And if it wasn't, then, then Jesus would not be pouring out his, I mean, four times, church. Is this, has this hit anybody yet? <laughs> Is this, is this dawned on anybody yet today that four times Jesus prays to God for unity because he knows there's going to be such a temptation toward schism. There's going to be such a temptation toward division. There, there will be the evil one who will counter and do everything in his power to cause us to be angry and bitter and to be so upset that we grab our church membership card and we march right out of the door and say, pooey on you people, I've had enough of you. And a watching world watches and they look and they go, oh, that's Christianity. <laughs> I got it. I wonder how many Gandhis there are out there. You know, Jesus I love, it's his followers that I don't understand. <laughs> and if his followers were more like him, Gandhi said, I would have become a follower of Christ. But he watched the church and he watched us fuss and fight and get red in the face and angry with one another. And Gandhi said, thanks, but no thanks. And that's precisely what Jesus was talking about. He said, Father, in some miraculous way, please help those folks get along. <laughs> because as they get along, then it presents such a powerful witness to a watching world. Number two is perfection and unity. Yes. Jesus said that we would be perfect in our unity, not partially, but in its entirety. And, and the illustration that he uses is such a profound one, is it not? It's an illustration of the Trinity itself. Jesus says, I pray that they are one just like we are one. Now, they are separate, right? In deity, in the Trinity, you have three persons of the Godhead. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they've always, watch this, church, They've always been in fellowship. They've always been in community. They've always got along with one another. And Jesus, he's so audacious to pray, Father, as we have this unity that binds us together, I pray it is so for my people that they would have this touch of divinity. They would have this, this glory manifest in them that 
they would have unity, that they would be perfect in unity. And there's two more illustrations I want to bring to your attention as you're, as you're contemplating this. As you're thinking through what it means to be a church and to be unified as a body of Christ, I want to use two illustrations in addition to the Godhead Trinity. And it's John 15, 5. When Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So you have a vine, and then you have the branches that are connected to the vine. And as they are connected to the vine, the vine nourishes them, and the branches go branch. They do what they do. They produce fruit. You see the unity. Now, when a branch is disconnected from the vine, there's no nutrients, there's no bearing fruit because what, meant, what was meant to be unified has now been fractured. And so cast out bearing fruit because the branch is no longer connected to the vine. And the second analogy the Lord gave me, it's a biblical analogy, certainly haven't created it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, when Paul gives the analogy of the church, talking about us. By the way, don't don't mystify this or, or fable this or say this is for something else. No, this is for the church. And this would be for Great Hills Baptist Church. As we are a body of Christ, Jesus is praying for us that we, the believers that meet here at 10,500 Jollyville, call us what you want, Radiant Church, call us Unified Church. Call us, this is what Jesus wants. He wants us to be so much in unity, much like the branch is connected to the vine and much like the hand, watch this, is connected to the arm, which is connected to the torso, which creates a unified body. And that's the analogy that Paul uses. And he says, for as the members, for as the body is one and it has many members. You ever thought about that? Your body is one entity but you have 10 fingers, 10 toes, two eyes, and one nose. That's pretty good. I ain't thought about that. Rhyme. Here I'm saying. You've got uh, feet, you've got legs, heart, and brain, liver, kidneys. All of those things are important, right? But they're only important and they only function when they're connected to the body. Now, what if my heart just said, fooey on y'all? You bunch of nitwits, I'm hopping out of the chest cavity and I'm going to go beat and do my thing. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. A heart can't go out and do its own thing and neither can we jump away from the church and just do our own thing. You know, by the way, this, this is God's idea. The whole church thing is God's idea. He created it. Jesus created it. And he knew we're so different. He knew we would be tempted to fuss and fight and argue. And so he's praying, oh, Father, may they be one. And may they even be perfect in their unity. But all the members of that one body, being many, Paul said, they are one body. So it is with Christ. So it is with the church and his body. Though many members, we are one. perfect in unity. When you come to the table in a few moments and you take the elements from the deacon, you take the, the bread or you, you take the, the juice, before you eat it, think about Jesus. This is, this is the night he has already given us the Lord's Supper. Now he's praying for us. May this just echo in your mind that Jesus is praying that not only we get along but we, we are absolutely perfect in our bond of unity, our togetherness. 
And then there's a little statement that Jesus makes in verse 22. If you'll give me just a moment, I really want to spend a little time here because it's so fascinating to me, and I've never really understood verse 22. When Jesus said, And the glory which you gave me, I give them, that they may be one just as we are one. What does that mean? Anybody read that and go, what does that mean? And Jesus said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given that glory to them. Now, them being the church, being the body of Christ, the disciples, and Pentecost is coming, Acts chapter 2, and the, and the church literally is, is birthed, and it just explodes in, in growth, and they dwelt together in unity, and they just took, they just took on the Roman Empire. It's amazing. But have you ever noticed, have you ever asked yourself, what is this glory that Jesus has from the Father and Jesus wants to give to us? Now, you can imagine that the commentaries say a lot of different things. I'm going to give you some of the theories for just a minute. Some people say the glory is the glory of the cross that is coming. That even as Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he, he beckons us to bear our cross and die daily and so live for him. That's one explanation. Another explanation is it has to do somehow it's tied into the mission of the church. That the mission of the church is to preach the cross and we are to be unified in our presentation of the gospel, and so that is glorious. But when I was studying the actual word itself, the word is, is doxa, and that's where we get the word doxology. And, and that word, interesting definition that I came across, that doxa, it means to be, to be in, in essence, if you will to be of good essence and good opinion and estimation of another. And so as I was thinking about this, I was putting the two to two together, and I was thinking, so the glory, the good estimation of the Father of the Son, and the Son has this good estimation and glory to us, this is a touch of heaven. I mean, God has given us his Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit lives within us, and the Godhead that operates in unity and in communion and fellowship with one another, God gives that to us. We have this glory among us. We have the living God living in us, and Jesus is walking around in His church, and when you think about that, that is doxa. That is glorious. What other entity has that? Does a team have that? Does a business have that? Does a corporation have that? Does a, a family have that? No, the church has that. It is, it is unique. It is glorious. And, and Jesus is saying, Father, the glory, this bestowal of favor and joy you've given me, I give it unto them. And I think that joy and that glory is only enjoyed and experienced when we walk in unity. I know that's heavy. I know it's a little deep, but I hope you get it. Sometimes I don't think it's so much we don't get it, we just don't like it. <laughs> Unity, togetherness. Jesus is asking the Father, grant it to him, O oh God. Not only grant it to him, but grant it to him in perfection, in total, in teleao. And then the third and final thing before we observe the elements is the purpose in all of this. The purpose in unity, well, Jesus told us. So that the world will believe God the Father sent God the Son, verse 21, and in verse 23, that the world may know 
that God sent Jesus and God loves the church even as God loves Jesus. Do y'all see that in verse 23? So the importance of us getting along, it has deep tentacles, it has broad ramifications. Jesus wants us to walk together in unity so that the world looking from the outside will say, you know, there's really something to the Christian religion. And even though we are so different, and we, we've all got our prides and prejudices, and we all have got our ideas of, of what we want and what we think is right, and it is a miracle of God that we can get along with one another. It really is, especially in Texas, amen? I mean, maybe Jesus could pray a little extra prayer for us in Texas because, man, we like our rugged individualism. You know, and actually I thought about this. You know, the, most of our pastoral ministry has been in two of the most, I mean, awesome but strong and opinionated people on all the planet, Virginia and Texas. Man, they are, pr you think Texas is proud? You ought to live in Virginia. They said, come, we'll talk to you about the Revolutionary War. Y'all didn't have that. We'll talk to you about the Civil War. We'll talk to you about, and most of the presidents, when you trace them, I think seven of them, can't remember somebody, will fact check me on that. And that's okay, fact check me on it. I want to say almost seven of them were born there. And I pastored there and I'm like, Man, people are strong. People got strong opinions. And, and when we come together and you submit your opinion, let's say to me, as a pastor leader, that's not easy. That's, I mean, we're not talking about biblical. We're talking about you're not preaching the Bible anymore. You've run around on your wife. No, no, there is no unity in that. Y'all need to excommunicate me and jettison me. But it, but it is a miracle of God that we can lay aside our prejudices and our privileges and our points of contention and our pride and, and our preferences, and we, we lay those aside for the common... It's, it, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. But that miracle of being able to get along when we don't all agree on everything, I tell you, it is a beautiful thing to behold. That's one of the reasons I'm so... I'm really honored and proud in a good way to be a part of this Christ Together Greater Austin group. I'm, your, I'm the token Baptist, by the way. <laughs> the other Baptists left, and they asked me. And they weren't going to ask me unless I was a good Baptist, all right? Because they wanted the Baptist influence, and I am the token Baptist on the Christ Together Greater Austin Executive Board, and that's me. And what's amazing is these guys, the Presbyterians and the Charismatics and the Reformed and, and me, we, we just get along with one another. Now, we don't talk a lot about doctrine because then we'll start arguing with one another. But you know what unifies us? The lostness of Austin. That's what unifies us. That's what causes us to get along with one another so that when we're unified and we're casting vision for the city, whether it's explore God or love where you live or having a big Friday night, you know, awesome time of worship during Good Friday when we're coming together in unity and the world is watching us going, there's something to this. And it's precisely what Jesus was praying. Father, that they would be one, that the world would believe that you sent me and that the world would see that the Father loves the Son and the world would see that the Father loves his children 
And that's all on display when the, when the body of Christ is walking together in, in unity, in harmony. And let me say this one more time. That does not mean you agree with everything. I mean, I love this, and, and I think in many ways we've lost this, and especially we've lost it as a country. And I think it will be our demise as a country unless we reverse this. It's to be able to get along when you don't agree. You know, you vote no in just a few minutes. You don't love God any less. You don't love me any less. You just disagree. That's okay. I'll do a little Baptist jig up here. That's okay. You, you, I just disagree, but praise God, man, I'm praying for you and I love you. Wow, that's good. That is good. I just disagree, but man, I love you. This is the part that hurts me. This is the part I cannot understand. I got my church member stripped. I disagree and I'm out of here. Pooey on you people. I'm out of here. Forget you folks. And the world goes, and why did you leave that church? I just don't like it. I don't like it. No people. So is that, is that what Christianity is about? Come on, folks. I'm, I'm being serious. Serious as a heart attack. If we can't get along here, <laughs> man, we're in big, big trouble. Our nation's in big, big trouble. Let me read this statement. Unity broadcasts the message of love to a watching world, but disunity displays confusion and fuels unbelief in the life of the unbeliever. Now, as, as we come to the elements, I, I really want to ask you this. Just to come and just say, Lord, I love you. And I love my brothers and my sisters. I don't agree with them on everything, but Lord, we are one in your body. Just like that hand's part of this arm. Just like that branch is part of this vine. And I'm going to come to the elements, and, and we're going to partake of them. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. And there's going to be a, I'm praying, a spirit of unity, a spirit of peace among us. And if you're here today, you just, you're just not there. You're just like, I just, I just can't. I can't do this. I, I just don't like you. I don't like her. I don't like him. And, and I'm just mad that you really ought not to eat today. You ought to skip a meal. And you ought to get right with God. Y'all just say, Lord, I'm, I'm, my heart is not in this. I am sorry. I, you've prayed that I get along. I'm not getting along, so Lord, help me get along. And I, I would encourage you to, to just skip this meal. If you don't know the Lord, then you should skip the meal because this meal we're about to partake, and it's a tiny meal, but boy, is it full. It represents the body of Jesus broken on a cross and his blood pouring out of his veins for the sins, the redemption of the world. And we come together and we, we just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. This is what I really would pray would happen, that during this time and as the deacons are about to start coming and making their way, man, you just start getting on your face before God and say, God, help me. I'm, no, no, Lord, I'm worried about him. I'm not worried about her. You, you take care of them. Lord, help me. Help my heart be right with you. <laughs> Will Graham is the grandson of Billy Graham. He's the son of Franklin Graham. He's a wonderful guy. He was a student at Southeastern Seminary when I was a professor there many, many moons ago. So I had the opportunity to get to know him, and he is a funny guy. He, is, he just loves life. Uh, he works for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's an ordained pastor. He works for the, co the Cove there in North Carolina. He said, he said, man, I was seven years old, and I was sitting there, and they started passing out the, the Lord's Supper, and he said, I got so excited. 
And he said, when I saw everybody grabbing it and I, and I went to get it, my dad said, you can. He said, what is this? I've gotten cheated in church. That's what he said. He said, I got cheated. I got robbed in church. I can't take of the elements. And, and he said, I, I remember as a seven-year-old, he said, I was just so mad. So what is this, dad? I mean, everybody else is eating. Why can't I eat? You know, all dads have a look. And he just looked at him and he's like, oh, be quiet. Time to be quiet. So he went home, and Franklin Graham came to Will and said, Will, when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you invite him into your heart and you become a follower of Jesus, then you can partake of the elements. And did you know that night, Will Graham said, my dad led me to Jesus Christ. And I became a follower of Christ that night. And it was all spurred on by all of this, by what we're about to eat and what we're about to drink. So deacons, if y'all would join me as I pray we're going to move into a time of observing the elements. May it be a sweet and a sacred time for all of us. Father, we do thank you that you love us. We're your children, and we are not um, all that we need to be. But thank you, God, we're not what we used to be, that we're in process, that we're growing, that you're sanctifying us. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to do that work of sanctification. And thank you, Lord, and I really believe that sanctification is impossible apart from ecclesiology, apart from the church. Because, Lord, we need each other. We need that iron sharpening iron. We need to be rubbing shoulders with those we disagree with. We need to be walking in unity with one another. So thank you, Lord, we can do that. And the only way we do that, God, we believe, is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we pray that you would empower us now as we partake of the elements as a church family. Lord, help us to confess our sins. Help us, Lord, when we eat this bread and we drink this juice, it takes us right to the cross. 2,000 years ago when Jesus, you died and you were, you were humiliated and crucified so that we would have the freedom and the ability to have a relationship with you, God, and a relationship with one another. And help us to cherish that. Help us not to do anything to jeopardize that or harm that, but help us, Lord, just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I eat this bread joyfully. Now drink this juice remembering that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He indeed died, and He arose from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sins. Lord, help us do that. And then, Lord, for those that just can't, and Lord, they know who they are. They're just, they're, they're in church, but they're way far, far away from You. And Lord, if the heart is so obstinate, that it can't forgive or it can't speak a good word to a brother or to a sister, then, Lord, let them, let them let the elements pass. Because you teach us, Jesus, if we come and we partake of these elements in an unworthy manner, if our hearts are not right with you and one another, then, Lord, we're, we're eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. So, Lord, for the sake of those that are far from God, I pray for them that they would refrain but moreover, Lord, I pray that there would be humility and there would be confession of sin and there would be a restoration of their heart back to you. And God, they would eat, drink joyfully today and say, I am right with God and I am right with my brother and I'm right with my sister. Lord, for those that don't know you, I'm praying for them. That even during this time, even as you convicted Will Graham of his sins, Lord, you'd convict them of theirs and there would be repentance and there would be an acceptance of the gospel, and that, Lord, their lives will be so touched and changed by what they see 
and what they hear today. Lord, bless our deacons. Thank you for them. Bless our time of worship as we as a church, unified, perfect in unity, now observe these elements. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.